Welcome to Driver to Driver, a Stokes Trucking Podcast. On Driver to Driver, we will discuss everything related to trucking and put a Stokes Trucking spin on it. Stokes Trucking, doing the right thing since 1979. Welcome to episode 14 of Driver to Driver, a Stokes Trucking Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lover. I'm joined again by my part-time co-host, full-time producer, Grace Lover, who is laughing at me because I can't talk. I had 30 <laughs> minutes to work up to this and I still couldn't spit it out right. <laughs> uh, thanks again for downloading this episode. Please make sure whatever platform you're using, rate and review. We've had a pretty big uptip in listeners over the last couple weeks after the uh, UTA episodes aired. So that's nice, uh, getting out there a little more. This episode's really going to be focused on a couple of our vendors. At Stokes Trucking, we look at our vendors as partners in our business. So, so we have our employees, our partners, our customers are partners, but our vendors are too. And those are the people that sell us the stuff we need to do our jobs every day. So Grace, who are we uh, talking to first on the podcast? Ben Isaacson. He does sales for Premier Truck Group. Yeah, he's our Freightliner salesman. I work really close with Ben each year when we order the new group of trucks. We go through the spec, which is short for specification. Mm. So when we order a truck, the list of things that go into that truck of options, it's about 25 pages long. (laughs) And we go through there line by line and make sure that everything in the spec is to our liking there's things that change every year you know the emission systems will get bigger so we lose some frame space or things like that well ben is the one who helps me try to get our trucks as comfortable as possible for our drivers but also so that they're cost savers for us for for stokes trucking here's ben isaacson from premier truck group grace let's roll So we're joined by Ben Isaacson from Warner. Uh, <laughs> there I go. There we go. From Premier Truck That's Group. That's what the edit machine's for, huh? <laughs> I do. I cannot. I can't get it right. I can't. The folder in my email where I keep all my Freightliner emails uh-huh. is still called Warner. Yeah. Warner. <laughs> I, I don't know. We still get called Warner all the time. <laughs> what, what I still say Warner. <laughs> ben Isaacson. Warner. Oh, Fre- Freightliner. What do you need? <laughs> So Ben works at Premier Truck Group mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City. Are you just a sales rep? What's your title there? Yeah, just, I mean, we so we've split the sales department. We've got used sales and new sales. I started off on the used sales department just over about seven, seven and a half years ago, and then transitioned over to the new side. So yeah, I'm, I still sell some used trucks, especially to my FedEx contractors, but Primarily focus on new trucks, specking and really tailoring the truck to the customer's requirements. So Ben is our salesman. We work really close with you. Usually it's in the fall. Yeah. <laughs> to come up with the specs. Now it'll the, be spring for next year. <laughs> yeah, for the <laughs> spring order, deciding how many units we're going to get, what things we're going to change. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us? First of all, you're from uh, Bear River, right? 
Garland? So I was originally born in Seattle, moved to Oregon, moved to Missouri, moved to South Carolina, moved back to Utah. Long story short, my dad's been in trucking forever. So we've traveled west to east to central all over the place. He was working with Jerry Moyes through Swift. So he would set up terminals. And as they'd set up new terminals, they'd get it established. And then we'd move again. So then we'd set up another one. No kidding. Yeah. So I've always been on the actual trucking side of the industry. It's different, but it was a good transition into the equipment and the customer and the service side of the industry. Huh. So yeah, we've always been in it. I had no idea that uh, your dad worked for Swift. I believe it was last year. He's been with them 29 or 30 years now. So that's how I got into it, obviously. So he was the CEO of Central Refrigerated. So at the time, that was a private division. Jerry Moyes owned Swift and he owned Central. So okay. they were completely separate. So he was the CEO of Central Refrigerated. So when I left, we were about 2,100 trucks. I started off just working in the shop. Nothing crazy was installing decals and stereos and just simple work, grease mm-hmm. and fifth wheels, everything like that. Started there, worked up into warranty, worked up into the equipment management side, which is actually where I really got involved with specs, trucks, Buzz Warner specifically, meeting with those guys, going through trade term work. That's how it all came to fruition of me going over to Warner Truck Center. Dad's still working for Swift. So Swift bought Central, right? So essentially Jerry Moyes, he changed ownership from this hand, put it all in this hand and pocketed millions and millions (laughs) for it. And I'm still his company. So it worked out well for him. But yeah, so now my dad, he runs the refrigerated division specifically of Swift. So I got to ask, why did you make the decision to leave there and go to work? That's a great question. Um, For me, it was just too big. It was, Uh I liked dealing with the drivers personally. I liked dealing with the trucks personally. I liked being involved in in the equipment and everything we were doing. Then nothing against Swift by any means. It's just, it's a monster, right? We went from 2,100 power units running at over 90%, 95% seated on average all of the time to going to 17,000 power units like that. I was limited to what I could do. Really, my job responsibilities got cut quite a bit. So for me, I got a little bit bored going from being involved in trades and the equipment and the specs and the drivers and all the way down to we had a pet policy. So you had to to put a little deposit down, take care of your truck, do the sticker. I was in charge of that for the whole fleet. (laughs) And so stuff like that was really fun. And a lot of that stuff got taken away and it just got a little bit stale for me on that. And I think Buzz could tell what was going on. And he said, hey, why don't you come over and, and interview? And I said, okay, when, you know, he said, now I'm in the office now. (laughs) So I go over, I've got my shop jacket on. I'm not dressed up by any means at all. And he says, well, do you have a, do you have a resume? I said, yeah, yeah. He printed one off real quick before I came over. (laughs) And uh, that's kind of how we went from there. Hmm. Started selling used trucks two or three weeks after that. So really? Yeah. How long have you been working at Premier? Just over seven years now. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. You're Younger. Yeah, I guess. Are are you 31? Yeah, turned 31, I guess, two weeks ago. Yeah. You're super knowledgeable. Uh, The last two years I've worked with... I can fake it really good, (laughs) if if that makes you feel better. The last two years I've taken over going through the spec line by line from Val. And Mm -hmm. you you know your stuff. I Yeah. Try to. You've done great. So I'm really happy with our freight liners, with what we're getting. 
That's what we like to hear. Yeah. yeah. Now we've got your history. Tell us a little bit about, I want to talk about our truck specifically, things we're getting. The big one this time around is we're getting Freightliner Assurance 5.0. Correct. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Other fleets who are maybe getting it and why. Maybe some fleets that have been getting it for a while. Sure. So you've got the big guys, obviously, Swift, CR England, Pride. Those guys have been doing this for years. Back when I was at Swift, or excuse me, Central, whatever you want to call it at the time, we were getting it, right? So it's been around for a long time. It's been in Europe years before it even came here. Where it really changed, where I noticed a big change was with FedEx. So I believe it was, I think, four years ago now, FedEx came out and said, in order to in-service a new truck with us as a contractor, you have to have factory installed collision mitigation and the lane guidance system on your truck. So for us, that's the Detroit Assurance, right? Mm -hmm. It used to be separate. You used to buy Detroit Assurance, which was the radar in the front bumper. That's your collision mitigation, your adaptive cruise control. It's specific to that radar system. Separately, you could get the lane guidance and that would be the camera and the windshield that would, you know, measure the lines on the road. Now, if you get assurance, you get both. And, and it comes as a package, right? As you've seen in your trucks that are going to be coming in, they're coming in with that package assurance. You guys, and, and obviously it, it's, it's a pretty expensive system too. So it's a good upgrade. My favorite feature about it personally is the adaptive cruise control. If you may even have it on your F-350 that's out front, but it's just, it's becoming a lot more common. It's, you know, it's a good way to add more driver comfort to the truck. A lot of drivers are very hesitant in the beginning mm -hmm. about it. And just like the DT12, I can't tell you how many guys did not want an automated transmission. And now those same guys, it's, it's just easier. They want it for stop and go traffic. They like the way it rides. Mm -hmm. It shifts more in line with the way they would shift themselves. Mm -hmm. And assurance is headed that way. It's making the driver's life a little bit easier, a little bit safer. And ultimately, the driver is still in control. You can change the settings. You guys did the adjustable headway control. Mm -hmm. And what that is, it's following distance based off of time. So as you can go into that screen, literally hit it on the right spoke of your steering wheel, mm -hmm. go into the screen menu, and you can change those second settings. It's pretty adaptable. I've put 12, 14,000 miles on the 71 on the school truck over the last two months first time first couple of weeks i drove it i'd turn that you've got to change it every time all right if you want to turn down the following distance yep i'd do that and then it didn't take i don't even think it was a couple of days pretty soon i was like you know what i think 3.6 is probably right <laughs> and i don't do it anymore i'm really confident that 3.6 is correct i actually am a little sad that we got that adjustable because we yeah. we didn't need to yeah and most fleets do they do the fixed they don't necessarily want people shortening that falling yeah. distance but yeah there's just when i've tried running it shorter i didn't mm -hmm. feel safe all of a sudden okay one thing me and val are in agreement on after driving that truck is it's made us better okay we're better drivers today than we were prior why, to why do you think that is because it's pointing out our flaws right. and our faults. When it gives me a distance warning that I'm following too close, yeah, the I'm really I'm following too close. Yeah, When I'm hitting the lines, it gives false positives, right? Yeah. But Once in a while it will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I can tell if I'm getting fatigued or if I'm not paying enough attention to what I'm doing because I'll get the lane departure warnings. Yeah. It's a good gut check. Yeah. It's a good check. Yeah. Um, the speed limit 
it reading the speed limit, yeah. popping on the dash. Mm-hmm. That it's been helpful. Yeah. Why not have a reminder? I don't. Like I said, <laughs> lane departure. I tend to be distractible. Mm-hmm. So it's been very helpful. I there's a little piece of me that wishes we would have got. Although it's so expensive, the lane keep assist. It is. Yeah. It, yeah. When you get that lane keep assist, it's that it's that Bosch steering gearbox you've got to go to and the yeah. controls for that. Yeah. It's expensive. Yeah. It is expensive, but it does a really good job. Oh. It's not perfect. No. Right. None, none of it's perfect. None of it is. Yeah. But it's great driver assistance. Yeah. I've been in, I've had several days. It's been kind of a windy spring mm-hmm. and I've had several days where I've been in big crosswinds. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I should just be exhausted from sawing on yeah. the wheel all day long. Yeah. Manhandling the wheel through the wind. That, not with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Have you played with the settings where you can set it to tailor kind of left, center, and right oh, yeah. of the lane? Yeah. 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 And generally, I I always change it to right. That, again, you have to change every time you shut the truck off. Correct. Yep. It'll default center. Yeah. So I generally change it to right because I tend to bear on the fog line a bit. Driving across Nevada, their rumble strip is right in the white line. Okay. So I actually kept it on center because mm-hmm. if I had it to the right, every once in a while I was touching it. On two lanes, I always change it to the right. But if I'm trying to stay in a center lane, mm-hmm. if there's three lane interstate and I'm in the center lane, I want that on center. Sure. Yeah. So it's really cool. That truck is really cool. The booth, what's it called? The driver the lounge. The driver lounge. Yeah. Loft, whatever you um, want to call it. I don't think, there might be some of our drivers that mm-hmm. would look at that and think they want that. Uh, they don't. <laughs> You, you lose so much storage. I was going to say, so the trade-off absolutely is your storage. Yeah. Yeah. Because you think how many spaces where you have storage, now you've got brackets and swing arms for both the chairs on the side. Mm. That's a big chunk of storage. All the storages should be under the bunk. Yeah. You've only got the two cubby holes all of a sudden, the, yeah. two, the two toolboxes on either side. And mm-hmm. since we're doing APUs, one of them is completely packed full of APU. Correct. Yeah. So... You only got one mm-hmm. for tools. And I, it, it was a big stressor for me because yeah. I generally carry quite a bit of stuff with me. Now, having the booth, the table and chair, I really do because I'm still doing my full-time day job mm-hmm. where I'm working on a laptop <laughs> when I'm yeah. gone in the semi. So it's really, it's super nice for me. It's mm-hmm. really a comfortable space for me to work in. Yeah, When I'm out trucking, I'll spend two or three or four hours an evening on my laptop yeah. after I stop. The other thing I really like this is <laughs> with COVID, it, nobody, you can't sit down and eat anywhere. Right. So when I stop for my 30 minute break, if I go in and grab whatever subway yeah, or whatever, just take it back to your dining table in the truck. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. It, that is so nice Yeah, to have a nice private like space. Yeah. To work a little bit, mm-hmm. but for an over the road guy, Who's six days a week in that truck? Yeah, I got think. his life packed in the truck. Right? Yeah, he just doesn't have enough room. Have you had a d- other drivers in that driver loft yet? So that truck, because of what it is and how it's decaled, mm-hmm. we're we're trying to limit it to just me and Val and Mike Larson who works okay. in the office. We have used it. <laughs> we had an emergency situation, and one of our he's one of our most senior drivers. Mm-hmm. His truck was down. We sent him in that and he didn't come back like threatening to quit after driving that <laughs> that's, truck that's good <laughs> it, it was fine we've had a just couple little hiccups with that thing that we've been trying to work through but okay. it's not nothing to do with the assurance or anything like that mm-hmm. that's all worked really well good 
We haven't had it on like drifted roads or anything like that. Yeah. that that's one thing I'm a little curious about is when we get into really heavy snow mm-hmm. on the roadway, that's one of the big fears. I know one of our neighbor companies had a Packard product mm-hmm. that jackknifed in Nebraska and the according to the driver, he was just tooling along on the interstate on slick roads and the radar, which was I think a Meritor system. The on guard system. Yeah, it's okay. not it was a Peterbelt and it's not Pete Packard Peterbelt system. It's an mm-hmm. after another company add on. Yeah. It did an emergency stop and he jackknifed the truck. So far, I I guess I've seen driving that one, it defaults to turning off. Yeah. So when it can't see the lines, it's just like your eyes, right? The as far as the lane guidance, it's all visual. It's just that camera picking up reflective yellow or white lines on the sides of the truck. So if it can't see them, it just doesn't do anything, right? Yeah. And that, and you know, kind of going back to the point of the driver still the boss, right? The driver's mm-hmm. always in charge because it'll tell you, hey, unable to see lines. The other thing that'll happen too is, and the technology's gotten better for shedding snow, but also going through the snow. But that radar can be packed with ice and snow to the point where it'll tell you, hey, radar system, front radar disabled, because it doesn't want to send false positives for that exact reason. If it can't confirm what it's doing, mm-hmm. it's more than likely going to default to the, hey, I'm out. I've gotten several several false positives where mm-hmm. it'll say collision warning. Yeah. But it's it must be a split second. It doesn't even actuate yeah. the brakes. It just pops up on the dash. Oh yeah, and you will. And if you it goes away. Real good example, Mark, is if you're going uphill, say there's a bridge at the top of that hill with a big sign on it, it'll pick up the reflection in that sign and it thinks you're <laughs> it thinks mm-hmm. you're headed dead for that wall or whatever that is. And where we've seen these false positives comes down is, yeah, it's going to tell you, hey, collision incoming or hey, object incoming. But when you get to the top of that hill, now that the camera and the radar are working in conjunction with each other, that camera is going to say, hey, relax. It's a sign. Yeah. So that's, you'll still get the little warnings, but as far as a a false positive brake application, those have come down significantly. Yeah. Yeah. I have not had one good at all the longer i drive the truck the more i like all those safety systems and the less i want to drive anything else we have yeah and it's like what we were talking about with fedex for them it's not an if it's a requirement Mm -hmm. if you're in servicing a new vehicle not only does the truck have to have it but with my fedex customers i actually have to send in the factory spec sheet they have to go through it and approve it where it's listed in the specs. Not too long ago, we saw the DOT requirement for the electronic or the enhanced stability control. Mm -hmm. That used to be an option. You could do the roll stability control, nothing, or the enhanced stability control. Now it's, hey, trucks have to have enhanced stability control. It's the way it is. So I don't know when we'll see that requirement, but I would imagine it's got to be down the road. I would think insurance companies would maybe require it before the government did i could see that yeah you know they're the ones who foot the big bills when there's a collision yep Uh, i we won't i can say this fairly confidently we won't ever order another truck without it i just for the safety of our drivers Mm -hmm. and everybody around us i can't see us yeah ever ordering a truck that doesn't have those systems on it well and yeah i agree and it's an expensive system but that's all relative, right? The first accident that stops where you don't rear end a van full of a family and kids or mm-hmm. injure a driver, keep trucks on the road, all of a sudden the expense disappears. Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about some of the other things yeah. we're getting in our trucks. What makes them a little different than some of your other... Yeah, you I'm going to beat up your other customers. No, you're good, man. No, it, it, <laughs> hey, you guys spec a really nice truck. Just starting from the front to back, obviously you guys are putting in those safety and support systems for the drivers now. You guys have full LED lighting in and out of the trucks. You guys actually recently added in, not this order, but last year's order with me, you guys has added additional utility lights back of cab LED as well. Visual wise, you guys are ahead of it. Driver comforts, man, the elite seats, heated and cooled. You guys actually paid for the premium insulation pack. So what that does is there's obviously decent insulation in, in most modern vehicles now, but what that does is it's actually taking that 3M thin insulation and completely going around the top and the sides of that cab. So I don't know if you've noticed, but if you come jump in one of our stock trucks and then jump in your truck, especially when you get on the freeway, you're going to tell right away your truck's going to be quieter. Yeah. It's just more comfortable, yeah. right? Yeah. Not just the sound level, but that's also temperature control as well. So the reason I like that package personally is you guys are doing optimized idle. You guys are doing APUs on some of your trucks as well. Now, all of a sudden, those systems work less. They have to work less. We're doing APUs on everything. Oh, okay. Going forward. There you go. We're, the optimized idle is, it's a relatively inexpensive option to yeah, add it's, from the factory. Yeah. If you have the brake upgrades already, which by the way, you guys are doing disc brakes, yeah. another upgrade, but because you have the upgraded brakes, that system's like, 75 bucks. Yeah. Least. It doesn't cost really job. anything. Yeah. So we're going to do optimized idle on everything, mm -hmm. but we are, I've got enough data off of last year's APUs are, it still takes a long time for them to pay for themselves, but yeah. they're a slam dunk. And we've got so many drivers that want them. Sure. We've got a few that don't, Yeah, but we've got so many that do it. It, it just going forward, everything's going to have APUs right. on it. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Between the APUs and the S bar and it sounds like from the last order, we went away from the factory fridges because you guys are, are allowing them to put in their own larger fridges. They can. We're, we're providing an aftermarket. There's a little tray I build for the top. Okay. Nice. <laughs> to put on over cool. the top. We, so again, we're a year in on the aftermarket fridges. Yeah. They're Verta Frigos. We're actually buying them from Premier. Okay. It's slightly cheaper. The fridge. Yeah, the factory fridge yeah, is expensive. Yeah, the factory expensive. fridge is expensive. Now it comes mm -hmm. in its own case and it's put together really nice. Mm -hmm. But we were having reliability issues with those refrigerators yep. and they're very expensive to replace after the fact. Absolutely. The aftermarket ones are about 75% of the cost of what it is okay. from the factory. And we haven't had any problems yeah. with any of those yet. Yeah. They're a little smaller. They're slightly smaller. Okay. But, or driver can put in that's the thing own. you can walmart home depot a lot of these places for a couple hundred bucks 500 bucks especially you can get into a range of a pretty nice size fridge and freezer combo you can put on that stand mm -hmm. and that's the other thing you guys are still paying for the the factory fridge prep kit yeah so they get that plate that sits in the back of the cab it's supported it's already got the strap pre-installed there so they can cinch that fridge down it's you guys are you're really providing a lot for the driver. And full disclosure, it costs money. And every time we have a model year escalator, which going forward <laughs> with the cost of materials, not, not to knock you out of your chair, but the cost of materials, those items that are, call it, they, for example, the premium insulation, that's an $800 list item. You have a 5% model year escalator. One up. You think we're going to stay at 5%? I hope not. But I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of getting warnings on just the cost of rubber and steel for the mm -hmm. frames that rubber for the tires, uh, wiring, semiconductors are 
beating everybody up right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've driven past and even automotive dealerships, these semiconductors have got people borderline shut down, which it's one of the reasons why Cascadia's for us are sold out for the year. Yeah. It, unfortunately, I think this year we're going to see, we're going to see some expense increase and it's all materials. It's just getting the materials and the cost of the materials in general right now is pretty, it's pretty astronomical. I'm talking to some of my, my I, I sell a wide range of trucks, so it's kind of nice because I get to deal with big companies like you guys running full size class eight sleepers. I deal with government groups that are hauling 129,000 pounds out in the mud, very different spec of truck, all the way down to guys that are supplying furniture and cabinets. They're running non-CDL 26,000 GVW box trucks. So these guys, I'm talking to some of these construction guys and some of these suppliers, and for some of these guys, they're telling me one sheet of plywood should be about eight fifty nine dollars for for a full size sheet mm-hmm. of plywood. That sheet of plywood, as of last week, is forty five dollars. Yeah, um, and that's plywood. The roof we were talking about. I'm going to replace yeah. the roof on yeah. my house. So had we done it last fall, because mm-hmm. we've got to put all new OSB down. Okay, had we done it last fall, it'd be about four thousand dollars less than it's going to be this year. But it's got to be done. Yeah. So that gentleman that's going to do our roof. When he gave me the quote, he said, this quote's good for six weeks. Yeah. Even if plywood goes up again, my quote's good. Mm -hmm. And the day he gave me the quote, I checked at Home Depot, and they were $42 a sheet. Okay. The day I called him last week to say, okay, I want you to come do it, or the day after that, I checked, and it was up to $53 a sheet. Oh, my gosh. Like they'd gone up the whole cost of what it should have been. Yeah. It's I'm hearing LeGrand Johnson, most of the big construction companies, they're rationing cement. Yes. Because yeah. they're short on cement. Like yep. they're just not starting any new construction projects because they can't get materials to build whatever you yeah. want to build anyway. Even yeah. if they have labor to do it with. I, I gotta think the economy's gonna slow down a little bit. It's an interesting time right now. Just trying to keep up with all the change and the expense changes right now is pretty it's pretty wild. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about is I have always felt like Stokes's relationship with their vendors and customers and drivers, mm-hmm. but especially with their vendors, is different than many other companies. Yeah. I, again, I don't, I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus, but can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a friendship and a trust based relationship than it is documentary. And what what I mean by that is if you or Val call me and say, Hey Ben, we need 15 trucks. These are the specs. I will shoot you an email off that email. I I place an order for millions of dollars worth of of equipment. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Other groups, when they send me an email and say that we go through the documentation process, we're getting signatures from multiple people at the company. We go through a verification process. It's just, there's a, there's such a good rapport and trust with with you and with certain groups that we can bypass a lot of the red tape mm-hmm. to get down to just hey let's do good business together let's support each other obviously you support us obviously we support you and it's it, it's a win win that that's the beauty of it not only does it become a win win it becomes a easy fun win win yeah. right? i i legitimately enjoy my job i legitimately enjoy working with you guys <laughs> and i know for some people with certain customers that's hard to say it's yeah. hard to say, hey, I, I like when that guy calls me at Friday night at 8 o'clock. And even if it's an issue, we get it worked out. That's pretty rare. Parts issues come up, service mm-hmm. issues come up, truck issues come up. And honestly, we just, we work it out. It's still fun. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. And that, I think in any job, now more than ever, with as 
heightened stress as things are right now, I think that's really rare. So it, it's great. It's fun. We just today, the episode on our mission, vision, and values was released. A group of us that work in the office took what our driver said in a survey and put that together. Mm-hmm. And relationships is one of our values. Yeah. And and when when we're talking about relationships, it's with our customers, our drivers, and our vendors. Sure. Yeah. Our relationship with our vendors is so vastly different than some other companies I've been involved with oh, yeah. where they were a hundred percent beating them up on mm-hmm. price. Everything was a negotiation yeah. and they felt like they got a, if they got $3,000 knocked off, they got a great deal or whatever mm-hmm. the case. I've always felt like when I first started, it was foreign to me how mm-hmm. Val operated. It's not that he doesn't negotiate, but he, he's so different yeah. to, to negotiate with. And I, I don't really, I never have felt like we overpay for things. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. I feel like we get great pricing yeah. because our vendors like to you deal know, with us. I, I had a very interesting conversation with a couple of sales guys and my manager over the past couple of weeks. And it's it's funny because, you know, with, with all these part shortages, we're about to start our ordering process. So for repeat local customers, they're going to open up the order board early. And, and you and Val already know this, you're already planning. It's just so interesting the differences in dynamic for certain customers and honestly the results are the outcomes the same because you guys are so easy to work with we work hard for you i apply for a full concession every time long story short concession is we get an msrp and then for local we get to take a cut off that for volume we get to take that cut even lower so we apply for the full concession every time it just that's why we do the volume we do frankly that's one of the reasons too and whether Val called up and screamed and rants and raves about beating us up on price or whether he's super easy to work with, it's going to be gonna the same result. Same so <laughs> why don't we just put our best foot forward, have a good relationship, make things easier on everybody. Yeah. And at the end of the day, again, you're happy. We're happy. It's win-win. It, it's just funner. Yeah, it's, I, it, it's a better time. I, I've never had an issue. I've never had a problem with one of our trucks that I didn't feel like, that I felt like I wasn't getting full attention. The the service after the sale is second to none. I just, a lot of people want to bash Freightliner and I can't. I wasn't a Freightliner when I started working for Stokes. Yeah. When I started working for Stokes Trucking, I had almost zero experience with Freightliners and I wasn't a Freightliner guy, but if somebody, I don't know, Val told us all to get lost and I had to go find a job tomorrow. I'd probably call you up and say, Hey Ben, I need a truck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta go trucking. So yeah. um And I'd tell you I can get you a truck in fourteen months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. So yeah. th- that changed so rapidly. Oh, right. We well, went from having our front lot not only full, we were over capacity. Mm-hmm. So when you know, we have auditors come out and they they check inventory. Basically they're saying, Hey, this is the inventory you say you have, we want to confirm that. It took them forever because we had every spot full. We had trucks lined up and down the aisles to where you couldn't drive trucks without moving an aisle. We had trucks in our south lot. We had stock trucks in other lots that we were renting from customers to be able to store trucks. And in probably a four to five month period, I think I have four stock trucks available. And you and I talked about this the other day. It's a couple of random day cabs and some odd end specs, but that's it. That's 
It, that's a, insane. So last year's orders, we got a, a white and a blue truck for the USU yeah, football yeah, project. Yeah. And I asked you to sit on that white truck forever. Mm-hmm. It, you guys were renting spots and you didn't even think twice about, I think you got that in April and we didn't take delivery of it until August or September. Yeah, yeah. That's the relationship. No, that's know? what I mean. It, we do the best we can to make things work. And frankly, you guys are fun to work with. So when you call and say, Hey, I, I got to sit a truck a couple months for me, it's, Okay. Well, then you know. when did we place the order for Truck 71? Wasn't that in September? Yeah. That was really late Towards in the, the year, end and, of and September, we still got it. And we got it in December. So typically, if things are quote-unquote normal, and we can place orders without stipulations or these added rules just because of how parts and everything are, getting a truck built, shipped, delivered at the lot in 90 days. I've seen that very often through the seven years I've been there. But then we go through these swings where we'll have some parts issues, technology changes, or there'll be a massive spike in demand. Maybe there's a bigger pool of drivers come available. And then we'll see four or five, six month delivery dates. This delivery date of being sold out through this whole calendar year and going to be opening the order board into calendar year 22, that's more of some pretty extreme supply line cuts mixed with demand, mixed with COVID. This was just a perfect storm of everything happening at once. So if if someone knew, let's say a 30-truck fleet. Yeah. He calls you up and he says, I need to order 10 trucks for next year. You've never done business with him. Okay. When could you get him trucks? Not this year. It, it'd be rolling into first of next year. And that's why we're warning guys is, hey, especially if you're wanting trucks in the first half of next year. You need to have a plan in about three to four weeks. He'd probably end up in the second quarter. Yeah, probably. Realistically, end yeah. up in the second quarter. It, it's And I think this has been a maybe a little bit of a wake-up call and a realization of the situation we're in this year, Mark. I've just recently, multiple times, had to tell repeat great customers, some of them very close to you locally here, I can't bid on your deal this year. And they look at me like, what do you mean? We've got a 16-truck order we want to put together. And I say, I know guys, that's why I was telling you back in September and October and November and December. And I think you got to get your order. In. Yeah. You know, well, do they so, usually take delivery in the second half of the year. Yeah, we can't even, and Hey, they do their part. Frankly, I, I think that's more than fair for a guy to call me in January or February and say, Hey man, we want to put a bid together. We would like trucks to come in August or September. That should be completely feasible. And on most years it is mm. this year. To tell a guy like that, who, by the way, I've sold multiple orders to through the past four or five years, I have to tell him, sorry, Mr. Customer, wait, we can't do that this year. And what's really disappointing is then he's got to go, hell, now I got to go call other OEMs and try and drum up other specs. We have our Freightliner spec dialed. Now I got to go try and convert that to Volvo spec or Peterbilt spec or Kenworth spec. And the real catch is he goes to those guys and They say the same thing. Hey, sorry, Mr. Customer, we're in the same boat, or at least we could do. Some of them are a little bit better than us. They they say, hey, we've got some availability in December. Hmm. So your trucks had built in December, they'd arrive in January. Does that work? And the customer's sitting there going, well, no, it it doesn't. So it's it's just one of those years. That's crazy. Thanks so much for taking time coming up here to the the studio. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. It's awesome. Uh, Ben. Thanks again. It's great doing business with you. I'm so happy we have you this too. relationship. We and I'm glad you're only 31 because <laughs> it'll probably go on for the next 30 years for us. I so. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, buddy. Okay. Thanks, Mark.
was a great segment with Ben Isaacson. Did you talk about your tray tables in this one? Um, the ones tables. you built? The table, the trays you built. Um, I can't, you know. I can't remember. You talked about it in a second. It's, it, it's been, it must have been, it had to be that one. Yeah. Me and Ben recorded that at the end of April, mm-hmm. and it is now the end of June, and there's been a lot of water under the bridge for me since then, <laughs> since it was recorded and edited. So I don't remember exactly what was in there, but that sounds... I was really waiting until we got the new trucks to put that episode out, and there was quite a delay getting our trucks mm-hmm. from Freightliner this year, so that's why we're two months later in there. You fine. talk about the delay, too. Well, <laughs> yeah, because when we recorded, the truck should have been here already, and... We were waiting, we were waiting, we were waiting. Finally started coming in in May. And they've been a little problematic this time around. Oh. So, Uh-oh, spaghettios. <laughs> I've been saying that a lot. We're working through it. It'll be okay. Grace, who do we got next? The next person is Zach Zaror. Zach Zaror. He is a commercial accountant manager with Advantage Pressure Pro. Yes. You guys talk about tires. Tires. So, you know I'm a tire nerd. I'm... The Tyrant. That's my new name. Tyrant. Yes. I started buying Pressure Pro systems in 2005, way back when, when you were three. <laughs> you had to, I, I had to hold up my fingers for that one. Whatever. <laughs> so yeah, the first Pressure Pro system I ever bought was 2005. It was when I first started buying wide base tires. And it looked far different than what we're using today obviously but it's a it's a pressure monitoring system that you can add on after the fact to to heavy trucks to monitor the tire pressures we've been putting them on our trucks for oh six or seven years we started out with freightliner was installing them at the factory i i'm a little picky (laughs) i wasn't very happy with those systems because they weren't easy to change sensors. They were internal inside the tires. They broke quite often. They didn't read right. We couldn't change settings in them easily. The Pressure Pro system is way easier to use, and it's about two-thirds of the cost of the factory-installed system. So we switched over to that a few years ago. Been really happy. Zach has been great to work with. I was really glad he... He actually asked to come on the podcast. He saw the link in my in my email signature <laughs> and, and asked to join me, and it grows, goes great with our Freightliner segment. You were looking at <clears throat> me talking about that stuff like I understood it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a thing, Dad. So you got, you've got pressure sensors inside your tires, too, on your Hyundai. A couple of times when you've gotten a little triangle on your dash it's because you've had a tire that was low mm-hmm. or a sensor that wasn't working well those are all internal moms all of our vehicles caleb's doesn't all but all the other vehicles have pressure monitoring systems they've become standard equipment in passenger vehicles they're not standard equipment in semis so we're adding them but i started adding them 15 16 years ago was when I first started adding pressure monitoring systems, which is funny that they're not standard in semis because the tires on a semi are huge. Well, and they cost so much. You know, two tires for a semi cost more than all four on a regular passenger vehicle. And we go through them a lot more. So why wouldn't fleets want to monitor the pressure of these 
it costs us $5,000 to put a set of tires on a semi. Why in the world would we not have 24-7 monitoring on that <laughs> to try and extend the life out mm -hmm. as much as possible? So here's Zach Zoror with Advantage Pressure Pro. So, Zach, help me with the pronunciation of your last name. So I don't Zoror. Zoror. Okay. Yes. You're with Pressure Pro. Is it Pressure Pro TPMS? What's the name of the Advantage Pressure Pro? Advantage Pressure Pro. You guys have been supplying us with our tire pressure monitoring systems for at least three years. Mm -hmm. I've been a customer clear back into 2005 and 2006 when I had my own trucks way back then. So tell us a little bit about the company and about you. Well, um, you know, first of all, thanks for, thanks for this, uh, you know, invite. The company was started by my father back in 1991, Philip Zoror. It, it was funny that the company was almost started on uh, fluke, I guess you could say. <laughs> we had a, um, my father had retired at the time and was at home. And my mother told him, you got to find something to do. You're, you're driving me crazy. And my father had been in several high-level positions with head hunting companies, tool manufacturers, a number of different, that clothing store, a successful restaurant. And at the time, he essentially purchased an office space, didn't really know exactly what he wanted to do with it. And a gentleman came in with the idea of tire pressure monitoring on a napkin. Essentially, my father bought that napkin and then turned around, created a patent for it, and um, did what I think every wise person does, surrounded themselves with people who know a lot more about what you're getting into than you do, because that's kind of how you grow, right? So had he been in the automotive industry at all? He's, no. He was just no, an entrepreneur. He, if you gave my father a packet of ketchup, he could sell it to a bleach salesman. <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> That's just who he was. He was the definition of a, uh, if there was a way to make an honest, fair, hardworking dollar, he found a way to do it. That's, that's kind of who he was. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny growing up. I have, I have a lot of siblings. If you look at our website, we have, uh, my brother, Jason, my sister, Vanessa, Margo and Natalie. Um, my mother's still the chairman of the board. Uh, several other people in our, office that are very close to us. Edward, who's our director of technology, was one of my groomsmen in my wedding. So very close-knit team. And growing up, our, our, our pizza parties were not very fun growing up. Back in the early 90s, when the original Tire Mate product is what it used to be called, was being manufactured. It was actually being produced in our living room. It involved watch batteries and several other components. <laughs> And we would get pizza and we had the same blankets we would sit on and we'd have almost an assembly line in our living room actually putting together the original product. So, so, so this was a true family founded ran business. Since I was, let's see, since I was three years old, I'm 32 now. So for the last 29 years of my life, tire pressure monitoring has been a conversation almost daily in my life. <laughs> so... It's to the point now to where we just bought my wife a new vehicle and it only gives the tire pressure monitoring alert. <laughs> so now I'm all worried about her tires when she's going down the road. <laughs> I drive her crazy, but so, it's 
So the the first system I bought. What at what point did you guys move out of the living room, like and actually create a space for for manufacturing? I want to say the early two thousands. We've been with the same manufacturing company now. We just we just opened up a second relationship with a new manufacturing company. Our main manufacturer has been a uh, contract manufacturer has been a company of Lansing, Michigan called Electronics. They've just been awesome partners for us. They're the type of company to where they've helped us grow both on the knowledge side of the best processes to build, as well as ideas for, hey, we're seeing this. This may not be the best idea. Let's try it this way. And then we have a couple of gentlemen in our office by the name of uh, Edward Letzko um, and Jeremy McGarble. They are just the brain trust here, in my opinion. And they bounce ideas off of people very well. And we are always trying not to settle. We, we never want to think our technology is perfect. We think the way we do that is the day we doom ourselves. Mm-hmm. So a mixture of those two, as well as our CEO, Jason Zoror, and our COO, Vanessa Hargrave, who's, who's my older sister. Uh, her maiden name was Zoror. They work in line with our manufacturers and just make sure that the product we're getting is quality and is tested. And we'd rather beat our product up before it gets to us and put it through any sort of testing you can imagine instead of letting product go out there that we think is going to have an early failure in the field. Well, and it's, uh, you know, the sensors themselves are in a pretty at least in our application, uh, rough service environment quite often. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you're, you're in the commercial uh, world, which is kind of my bread and butter. That's what, I, that's what I do for the company. But most people wouldn't realize we're actually the OEM partner of several large off-the-road uh, players, um, Case New Holland and Caterpillar. We're, we're actually in, I believe the last count was 43 countries. We're in everything from mining vehicles that can be half a mile to a mile underground to road trains in Australia to earth movers in Russia to monorails down in Brazil. So we're on any sort of application, really, that ranges between 8 to about 207 to 210 PSI, soon to be higher than that. We're able to operate and we have a very... I guess you say diversified portfolio almost in that uh, we have several different sectors that we sell into that some are easier on the tires, like your RVs, you know, those are pretty consistent, but you know, you got monorails in Brazil that are running 210 to 225 PSI at times. Hmm. And we're operating on on those as well, because it's obviously those, those monorails are driven by pneumatic tires. So Mm -hmm. you can imagine what would happen if you were to have a catastrophic blowout, put strain on extra tires, have another blowout. You can imagine, you know, in a final destination kind of way, what yeah. can happen at that point. Yeah. So it sounds like it's all family and the upper management. How can you give us an idea? How, how many units you're selling maybe domestically? How many, how many commercial trucks are there running around that have your system on? Do you think? I would say since I moved into my role eight years ago, uh, see, eight years ago, seven years ago now, I moved in my current role. I would say upwards of 10 to 15,000 tractors wow. and 25, 30,000 trailers. Wow. Between the commercial space. A lot of it's hard to gauge because you're one of our few customers that we actually sell direct. We typically go through dealer and distribution. So what we do is 
For example, we have a large partner called Pana Pacific, and Pana Pacific is very tied in with just about every truck dealer across across the country. They sell radios, refrigerators, um, you know, items such as that. And so we have a very large footprint. So there's been plenty of times to where someone ends up calling us saying, hey, we're having this little issue or, hey, we're seeing this. What do you think we should do about it? And we're going our system. We're like, well, hold on. Who would you buy this through? And we end up tracing it back and realize it was sold, you know, from a distributor to a dealer to an end user, which we love to then meet those people, grow that relationship so they know we buy from them. They service us. They're a first level defense. But we know that if push comes to shove, we can contact Zach and Pressure Pro and he'll also make sure we're handled or push us in the right direction or whatever we need at the time. Yeah. What's the... The units we're buying now, we're getting the Defender mm-hmm. sensors on ours. What's the average lifespan of those sensors, battery life? What I've seen is about two and a half to three years in the commercial space. Some fleets are less because, quite frankly, they're just always letting that sensor alert. They're mm-hmm. buying the hardware, um, and they're, they're, they're trying their best to monitor it, but they haven't quite figured out the exact way to when a sensor alerts how to hop on it quickly. And that's always the kind of unspoken factor of sensor life is the more often it has to alert, the shorter the battery life is going to be. But for our customers who see an alert, address it, or at least get it in a queue to address it, they'll see an average of two and a half to three years. And that's some a little less, some a little more, um, just depends on the exact sector. You know, if you're, for example, one of our largest customers is a company out of Boardman, Ohio. And they run a lot of landfills and uh, they started sending some sensors back a while ago and they were about two and a half, three years old. Cool. Yeah. We've, <laughs> it's, we've got one mechanic that works uh-huh. in our shop, just one. And, and all we do is light duty stuff, greasing. He does brakes, light repairs, uh-huh. things like that. We don't do oil changes, but one of the things he takes care of is the pressure pro systems on the trucks. And, you know, every week, there's one or two sensors he hands me uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, man, there's just an awful lot of these. And I said, well, please remember we've got, we have 30 power units running those now uh-huh. times 10 is about 300. And yep. the first ones we had are all coming on three years old. So uh-huh. we're going to start seeing a lot of sensors with dead batteries is what's going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, dead or, Dead or severely weakened, and yeah. the, the longer the battery goes, the you know you're talking about signal and RF and all that at that point. So yeah, yeah, that's one thing I think probably a lot of people don't realize with pressure monitoring systems is you guys are kind of governed by government entities with radio waves, right? Don't you deal a little bit with the <laughs> what what yeah, frequencies you can be on? Yeah, there's been times to where we've we've actually had to get certified that we're on a certain radio frequency for like, um, you know, if you're going into a site could have, that could have raw explosives or something that has a detonator that's triggered by an RF. Hmm. Obviously you don't want to have a truck full of fuel (laughs) and have, you know, a detonator and your radio frequency causes it. Right. So Yeah. yeah, that's, that's something we have to be on specific channels, certain frequencies. And we, we are really very religious about following everything to the T in that regard because um, 
you know, our, our partners and our customers are putting their faith in us and we want them to be rewarded for that. For example, in your case, you know, you all have been a very loyal, easy customer now for going on two, three years. And, you know, we, we feel like your part is much more important than our part because you've allowed us to help take care of you and service you and you've communicated what we need to do on that side of it. So it's not to say that every customer is easy. It's not to say that we don't ever have issues with anything, but, um, you know, overall, we like to think that, that uh, you know, we, we do a good job of taking care of things and having the proper RF as part of that, uh, having the proper testing. Uh, a lot of our OE partners require certifications and whether it be ISO or whatever else it may be. And so there's a lot going on that we have to watch out. But thankfully, we have very smart people in important positions that handle that for us. Very cool. So our podcast is really based around our own drivers. Mm-hmm. What... You know, we've we've had some trouble with sensors, losing calm, things like that. What talk to my drivers? What should they be looking out for with your systems, and how best can they help us if they have an issue? Well, the the first thing I want to say is my in my opinion, drivers are the most important part of this equation. You know, they're the ones who get up, put their boots on, turn that key, and deliver the goods. So what they do. We saw what happened this, you know, over the past year with the pandemic. If it wasn't for truck drivers, this world would have fell apart. Um, I truly believe that. Everybody starts to realize what goes on when they're out of toilet paper, right? How yeah. it actually gets there. Yeah. It, or, or for example, fuel. It's it's not a shortage of fuel. It's a shortage of drivers to get the fuel. <laughs> so, um, you know, because everyone's going to Amazon because no one wanted to get out of their house. <laughs> you know, the first thing I would say is just use the system frequently. And every now and then, if you want to do a basic troubleshooting method, the easiest thing to do is to remove a sensor on, for example, like the front left steer tire, and then a sensor on the far back right tire. Just remove both those sensors and make sure they throw a ZOPSI alert because both those sensors were programmed. And as soon as they're removed from air, they should throw a ZOPSI alert. Uh, The second thing I would say is... If you start to see an issue or you start to see something weird or maybe off a little bit, don't let it linger. There's many things that could happen to a sensor. For example, I've seen one sensor and it was actually in, let's see, where was it? I want to say it was Pennsylvania. And what was happening is these guys were driving through a construction zone and they were there. For some reason, they kept throwing up rocks in between their tires and a rocket actually come up and smack the sensor and busted the cap off of it. Now that's a rare occasion, but it it can happen, and then, you know there's no reason to hide from that. So I would say uh, troubleshoot if there is an issue, let someone know right away. And then three, if you're seeing a sensor issue, it typically it, it typically has to do with one of two things: reception or battery life. So I would say just know where your antenna is on your tractor. And just make sure it's good and tight. We've seen a couple times where debris has hit it, stuff has come up and hit it, and the antenna can loosen. Just by a couple little twists of that antenna, you can see a lot of problems go away. The most severe step we can take if we need to to really diagnose something is all of our monitors have a data logging feature built into them. So should you say, hey, we're seeing a lot of issues, one, you know, to take a step back, we can look at the date code as well, which I showed you how to, because that's not something we hide from. Mm-hmm. We will tell our customers how to read the date code on their sensors. If they're three, three and a half years old, chances are they're just getting weak. Mm-hmm. But we can actually insert a micro SD card into the side of our pulse and run it through a custom software for you 
called our Connect platform, and we can actually show you the exact history of all your sensors. Their RF signals, which tires were low, which tires were hot, all that information. And from there, we can say, from the raw data, we're seeing position, you know, 32, which is the third axle, second tire from left to right. Um, and we would recommend changing that sensor. Cool. So we're we're really here to help, number one, the, the shop guy, the shop team. Um, shop girl, just so I don't offend anybody, you know, because there are women in this industry the, too. The shop person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the shop person. But, you know, we're also here to help the drivers. So if if the driver can do those steps, those basic two to three minute steps, that's going to cover just about any maintenance that really has to be done on our system in general. Yeah, we had some trouble and it was poor rollout and education on my part to our drivers if you're having an issue with your pressure monitoring system, let's not just ignore it or unplug it. That was happening. Let's address it. It's a it's an $800 system we've installed in your vehicle mm-hmm. to try and help protect the $500 per tire <laughs> plus the yeah. downtime. You know, it's there exactly. for you to try and keep you on the road as, as much as possible, get you where you need to be when you need to be there and get you back home. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a safety thing for you. So help us do that. Yeah. Well, you know, not to mention if they're going down the road and get pulled over and get a DOT inspection, you want to make sure you're in, you're within FMCSA compliance with regards to your tires. Yeah. A a certain percentage low or a certain PSI low can actually be a ding against your FMCSA score. So uh, we've actually had fleets that where they get pulled over, they've actually shown the DOT officer or the trooper, whoever it was, hey, this is what my current pressures and temperatures are of my tires. And they were able to show that they monitor them, they're tracking them, and on they went about their day, did the rest of their inspection, trailer lights, plinkers, anything else that may go into it, and we're back on the road in no time. Very cool. I do have a question. What is yep. inside the sensor for a battery? Is it something Lithium. specific for you guys? Are they manufactured, like you're not going down to the grocery store and picking up watch batteries and throwing them in there? No, it's a a high-end lithium battery. We work in conjunction with our manufacturer and we source uh, lithium batteries, you know, different chips, which I'm sure you've seen all these chip shortages going on in the country for (laughs) trucks and cell phones. And so we have, you know, we, we were lucky enough to get around that for the most part. Chips, we have boards, we have... Inside each of our sensors, it's it's almost like a little R2-D2 robot. I mean, there's so much that gets stuck down inside there. <laughs> we source all those, test them, certify them. Then our sensor gets built. And then once our sensor goes through the line, what, what we've also done is each of our sensors is actually reinforced with a potting fluid. It's almost like an enamel or an epoxy. Mm. Each of our sensors actually gets injected with this fluid. And what it does is it is it solidifies everything inside that sensor, kind of holds the brains of the sensor together. What we have found is the number one enemy of sensors, especially external based, is things like humidity, you know, moisture on the boards, corrosion points, stuff like that. So what we have done is found a way to help bulletproof that as well. And that was with customer feedback, partner feedback, the help of our manufacturing house, our variant 
very good leadership team here uh, as far as Jason, Edward, Vanessa, and Jeremy. Um, they helped guide us down that path of reinforcing. But if you if you were to cut open one of those sensors, there's so many little hmm. opponents down inside that thing and every nook and cranny. It's, it's, it, it's pretty cool to see cut open. Cool. That's very neat. So you said we're one of the few customers that buy direct from you. Um, yep. We do have some owner operators listen to us and I know there are a few other fleet owners that listen to the podcast. Absolutely. If they were interested in purchasing your product, what would be their best means to do that? Contact me uh, directly. I can give to dealers and distributors if needed in that territory. Um, a lot of what we do is based geographically. Uh, so for example, in your neck of the woods, and I know whenever we started talking, you'd already had history with our product. We felt like you were grandfathered into the program. So we wanted to take care of you direct. But, you know, anyone who wants to contact me, the easiest way to reach me is just to call me, which my direct office line is 816-925-0335. Or they can email me at Zach at PressurePro.us, uh, Zach with an H on the end. So um, those are the two easiest ways to contact me. And that way they're not trying to go through a dealer and then the dealer has to call the distributor. They can contact me and I can sort it out for them to make the process really simple. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, be able to link all your contact info and website in our show yeah. notes. So yeah, perfect. It'll, yeah. It'll be we'd, easy. we'd be happy to, the more customers we are, the more customers we get, you know, we feel like we're doing a service to the trucking industry because the cost of tires and fuels isn't going down anytime soon. And, we positively impact both those, but I like to have toys too. So <laughs> I got a boat, I got my other toys. So <laughs> send them my way. All right, sir. I do appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to continuing doing business with you for, for a long time to come. Hey, yeah, as, as always, I appreciate everything, Mark. And you guys always make it so easy for us. So, um, you know, I also want to take another chance, another chance to thank the drivers. I've done it on my LinkedIn a few times, but I want to thank them for keeping this country running. And it's kind of crazy how you'll see people going down the highway and they'll be tailgating these truckers and <laughs> doing all this stuff. And they don't realize that if it wasn't for those guys, they wouldn't have anything in their home. So uh, thank you for being a loyal customer for as long as you have. And, you know, thank you to every driver in your fleet and anyone else who may be listening for everything you all do to get us what we need. Well, we sure do appreciate that. Thanks again, Zach. All right, sir. Thank you. That was a great segment with Zach Zoror. I learned a lot about tires. <laughs> we didn't talk that much about tires. We talked more about pressure monitoring. That's in the system involves tires. Well, it involves tires. Yes. Next up. Is the question from the road. The question from the road. And we're going to do it a little different this time around. The question from the road. Who did it come in from, Grace? Mike Pollock. Mike, Mike Pollock in 693 uh, sent this question in. And when I saw the question, I immediately thought of Jess Starkey with Alteros Freight Lines. Where is Alteros Freight Lines? They're out of Calgary, Alberta. Oh my gosh. Some international yes. guests on yes. the podcast? It's an international guest. On the podcast, I broker loads to him quite often. He hauls, as a matter of fact, he's bringing down a, a load of tires right now as we speak. Actually, they're tanks. They used to be mining tires, but now they're cattle tanks. Ah. 
He brings them down out of Canada for us. He also brings some mulch out of Canada for us once in a while. But I knew he'd know the answer to this question. So let's roll the clip with Jess Starkey from Alteros Freightlines. Jess speaking. Jess, it's Mark. Hello, Mark. Did you read? Sure. Did you read what my, my driver asked? Mm-hmm. I did. So and we get asked that question almost daily. Okay. So here's the question, so everybody else knows. My driver asked, I see many trucks out here on our highways from Canada. Are they only running freight to and from Canada, or are they in the U.S. trucking market hauling our freight to and from U.S. locations, same as we do? If so, are they hiring American drivers to drive their Canadian trucks? So the reason I called Jess Starkey, right? Is that how you say your last name? Correct, Mark, yeah. He's with Alta Rose Freight out of Alberta? Is that right? Yep, we're out of Calgary. Calgary, Alberta. You've got, what, like 20 contractors you're running around? We do. Yeah, we have 20 owner-ops. Okay. So the question is, <laughs> and I know you'll know the answer better than me, what's going on with Canadians <laughs> coming down here and driving yeah. around? We cannot interstate. So we can only haul to and from Canada. There's only a couple exceptions to that is, uh, I believe anybody that holds dual citizenship can interstate, and status natives can also interstate because it is actually to do with immigration and taxes. Status so natives, what, what does that mean? We do not have Native Americans. Oh. Uh, well, I mean, I guess status uh, natives up here okay. uh, that hold, I believe it's considered to be a treaty card basically makes them tax exempt. So it's a tax thing, huh? Is that the reason? Yeah, it's a it's a US immigration thing. Okay. So it's I don't think related to anything other than collecting appropriate tax. So it isn't it called cabotage if like one of our trucks goes up to Canada and hauls from Canada to Canada or if one of your trucks comes down here, isn't that what the actual technical term is? I am not sure. I think it is. I think if you look um, up cabotage, it'll... Is it? And it has something to do with shipping, believe it or not. <laughs> like maritime shipping? Yeah, and there's so many gray areas. You know, people try to tell you, oh, if it's just one point and it's in the direction of home. You know, everybody's got their own theory. But when it comes right down to it, no, we cannot point to point in the yeah. U.S. Yeah, so once you have a truck down, if you send a truck to Miami, he's got to come back with a load inbound to Canada no matter where it's from. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. 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 Whether we whether we load them right out of Florida or whether we load them out of Texas, it doesn't matter. But he has to come straight back to Canada. So you guys probably end up with quite a bit. We can do multiple pickups. Oh, well, that, that we was... can do multiple pickups and we can do LTL, but it all has to be destined for Canada. We so, cannot pick and drop in the U.S. So, so you can't make a pickup in Dallas and and drop in Bismarck, North Dakota, and then go on up to Calgary can't do that either right no we cannot yeah. no no and some people try to pull that card as a bit of a gray area but it is indefinitely illegal so are there some unscrupulous carriers who do that yes mm, okay there definitely is i mean you hear of it often it does it means we have to run a lot of deadheads sometimes yeah. but it's and some some guys that 
don't mind the law, we'll pick up some freight and close that gap mm-hmm. and get a little money for it. But I don't think they ever want to get caught. I suppose, is there a risk of losing your authority to haul down here if, if you do that? Is that the penalty? Yeah, one? that's my understanding is they will target your authority. All right, buddy. Thanks for thanks again for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. So I want to thank Jess for humoring me and joining me on a podcast to answer that question. And I've asked Grace to do a little research on cabotage, not the Beastie Boys song. That's actually sabotage. So, Grace, can you tell us about cabotage? Cabotage, it's a term used for the laws in place that protects domestic shippers from international competition. So, a cabotage, can you, yeah, give us the origin of cabotage. The origin of cabotage is borrowed from French because English doesn't have any of its own words. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably going to botch the pronunciation of it, but it's derived from the French word capiteur, which means to travel along the coast. Assuming they're talking about merchants. Yes. Trading with shipping, maritime shipping. Yes. So I I sort of vaguely remembered where cabotage, the origins of cabotage were, and it, it was in maritime shipping way back when in the 16, 1700s, mm-hmm. when that first started, international shipping first became a thing. So cabotage rules are in place to prevent exactly what me and Jess were talking about. A Canadian carrier from coming down here and hauling freight domestically inside the United States or us doing the same thing to them. That's why cabotage rules exist. It began with international shipping when someone would pick something up along the coast of mm-hmm. France, you know, a, a Spanish flagged ship would pick something up along the coast of France and deliver it to another French port. That was called cabotage. And they enacted rules to prevent it. Mm-hmm. But the EU doesn't. The EU has very relaxed laws on it now. Yeah, because it's so small these yeah. days. It's, it's way different than it used to be. But uh, we don't here. And I wonder what goes on like in Asia and Africa. I'm assuming Asia has the same laws. Yeah. Africa, I'm not quite sure. I know that when America is shipped things from overseas, it has to be hauled on American ran ships mm. and American built ships. They're very like, it. you can't have the parts from any international. Many of those sailors are international though. Mm-hmm. Very few of them are U.S. citizens. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole, kind of an interesting. That's a whole thing. It is. I mean, it is. Um, whole thing. It's interesting to me because of the whole shipping logistics side of it sort of fascinates me. Val probably knows more about that than, <laughs> than I do. He ships several containers over to Africa. Well, everybody, this is going to conclude episode 14. We've made it to 14, Grace. Yeah. Yeah of Driver to Driver, a Stokes Trucking podcast. We sure do appreciate you, again, downloading another episode. Make sure to rate and review us. Tell your friends. Post it on social media. Write it on bathroom stalls. At truck stops? At truck stops. Mm. Listen to Driver to Driver. 
that's a, a change of scenery for <laughs> those stalls, I guess. <laughs> Not implying anything. I don't know what we're going to do for the next episode. I think I'm going to have a couple interviews with a couple of the drivers over the next week or so. I do know that sometime in August, we're going to have the Aggie podcast. <sighs> yes. Go Aggies. Go Aggies. Thankfully, Bo came over and recorded with us, me and Mike, and I'm going to get Mike back over here. We're going to record another segment, mostly because I want him to talk about his fandom <laughs> and how, like, I totally don't, like, I'm a, I'm a Nebraska Cornhuskers fan. Mm-hmm. Mike makes me look like an amateur. <laughs> he is so into the Aggies <laughs> and just gets his nuts kicked every year by him. Uh-oh. <laughs> Anyway, so that's some things to look forward to on the podcast. Uh, Everybody, thanks again. Please drive safe. Thank you for listening to Driver to Driver, a Stokes Trucking podcast. For more information on Stokes Trucking, please visit our website, stokestrucking.com. You can also learn more about us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Stokes Trucking. The intro and outro music is I Can't Keep Still. The bumper music between segments is Fetch Me Another One, both performed by the Caffeine Creek Band. Driver to Driver is a Frankfurter Studios production.